Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I think my feelings on Georgia can kind of be summed up in two words here for a moment. One of those words is very appropriate for this time of year, and one of those words might not quite seem so appropriate, but we're going to kind of get to both of those here coming up. Let me start with my first word. This is a word that I think genuinely kind of describes the feelings I've been experiencing here over the last day or so. I'm honestly just incredibly grateful to be a part of this, to be kind of of age at a time in which I'm old enough to appreciate what Georgia's going through right now. Georgia went undefeated again on Saturday. I mean, how, how amazing that is to think two consecutive years of being undefeated in the regular season. I put this out on Twitter, I think, yesterday afternoon, just kind of thinking about some of this kind of stuff. I started following Georgia sort of mid-80s when like eight and three would have been a really good season. Or, you know, and pretty much every year of my lifetime kind of following UGA, you had the uh, you know, three loss season, the four loss season in some cases. There were, you know, a couple of years that were worse than that, not too many, thankfully. Uh, about as good as Georgia seemingly could hope to do over the course of my lifetime following this team is, hey, if you could find a way to only lose twice during a year, you were having what kind of, you know, felt like a pretty special season. There was the 2002 year in which Georgia only lost the one time, and that was like, this amazing occurrence that was better than anything I could have ever imagined. And yet, lo and behold, here we are right now watching Georgia for the second straight year go 12-0 and in the regular season. Like, I'm incredibly grateful to have experienced this. I, I was in, in, in stadium on Saturday thinking that it's just really fun to see Georgia unbeaten once again here in the regular season. You know, so many of the things that we kind of talk about on, on a show like this, it's like, for for Georgia, but what it's been doing the last year or two, it's like you're always saying something to the effect of, well, gosh, Georgia hasn't done this back since the early 80s, back since 1980 or 1981 or 1982, back when Vince Dooley was the coach, back, back when Herschel Walker was the star player. And yet the thing that Georgia accomplished on Saturday, not even those great Georgia teams of the early 80s were able to do to go undefeated in two straight regular seasons this is something that Georgia's only done in this era this is something that Georgia's only done right now and I think it leads me to say with all due respect to Herschel Walker with all due respect to the life and legacy of Vince Dooley who we continue to celebrate I think this right now has the makings of being the true golden age of Georgia football for as good as it was you know 40 whatever years ago this sort of feels like it's on its way to being better. This sort of feels like it's on its way to being even more than that. It's, it, it's a remarkable thing to consider. And I thought after the game uh, on Saturday, Kirby Smart did a good job of this. It was senior day. There were 24 seniors that, that walked out and were celebrated before the uh, game began. And uh, obviously some of those guys have a chance to come back next year. Many of them won't. But their legacy now leaving Georgia as the winningest senior class of all time, I thought Kirby did a good job putting it in perspective about how special that group has been. This is what Kirby said after the post game in, in the post game press conference after Georgia beat Georgia Tech on Saturday. I don't know. I think I've been through more emotional ones than this one for some reason. This one just seems so uh, uh, fast um, and rushed. We were, we were trying to fly through there to get through them. We got started a little bit late. His Tech out the field a little later and. Um, I have to catch myself from stopping and spending too much time because I start having memories of sitting in the home, convincing kids to come. You see the, the, the first year, the second year you've had them, and uh, you know, this group's meant so much. I mean, look, is it 46 and 5, Claude? What's the number? 46 and 5. Yeah, this group's 46 and 5. How many games do we play over the year? We did get 10 through the bowl game. So we only got nine regular season games, right? And then the 10th was the bowl game. So we, we, we got shorted one game in a year that you were already shorted games. 
Um, and they still came out the winningest group to ever do it. And it, you know, their leadership is our consistency, meaning everybody's like, well, how do y'all come out and do it each week and not let down and not do this? Well, their leadership is our consistency. And each and every one of them, from walk-ons to scholarship players, is deserving of uh, the recognition. I think that's beautifully said by Kirby Smart. And I think the point here is, if it ended today... I think the right attitude for Georgia fan is unbelievable gratitude. Thank you, seniors, for what you've been a part of. Thank you, coaching staff, for the way in which you've trained up these players. Thank you so much for giving those of us who are Georgia fans, and I am one, even though I sit here and do this show as a distinguished member of the broadcast media. The truth is I am a uh, fan of this team, and I have been just as happy and just as thrilled by every moment that's taken place here, certainly last year especially, but even in years prior to that, I've enjoyed them all. And if it ended right now, boom, I think that the proper response to all this is extreme gratitude for what we've all been lucky enough to be able to experience. But as you know, it's not ending right now. It is continuing. And so while on the one hand, you've got this incredible gratitude for what you've experienced, I got to tell you, there's another word kind of floating around my head right now that is just as, I think, intense of a feeling as the, as the gratitude that I feel. And this is not so pleasant to say out loud, but the truth is I sort of feel that way. While I am grateful for what George has been through, I am greedy for some more. I am greedy right now. I do believe this team is well positioned to go for two and 22. And there's a lot about this team right now that it doesn't quite feel like the 2021 team in some respects, and, and that's fine. But I think it's appropriate not to compare this team to, to, to last year's team or this team to some team from the past and some other, you know, you, know, uh, you know, recent season in college football, but to simply compare Georgia to what exists around them in the current landscape of college football. And frankly, I don't see anyone who's better. And I think that over the course of the year, there's been a little bit of a narrative shift that's taken place. And I don't know if you've noticed this and maybe we've tried to put this in words and maybe we've been successful. Maybe we haven't. But over the course of the last 12 games, the last you know three months, this has kind of gone from being one of those possibilities. Hey, maybe Georgia could win the national championship again. And it's sort of shifted from a could win it again to based on what Georgia has waiting in the SEC championship on Saturday, what it should have waiting in the college ball playoff. This has kind of gone from being one of those things that Georgia could do. Do I honestly believe this is now one of those things that Georgia should do? They are the prohibitive favorite to win the national championship right now and we are greedy for some more for as grateful as we are about what georgia has been through we are greedy for what they also now get to do to add to that legacy there as well and that continues this saturday with the sec championship now yesterday kirby did one of these before the sec championship kind of going into the week of it there's always like this teleconference thing it's a little bit weird it's a little bit different than normal press conference but uh both coaches joined via phone we've gotten very used to having kirby smart kind of in this atmosphere Sunday before the SEC championship and Kirby was asked yesterday we just talked about those great seniors and the and the gratitude that those of us who are Georgia fans have for what they've accomplished but one of the holes in their resume right now believe it or not is they haven't won a national I should say haven't won an SEC championship they didn't win this game last year and so Kirby was asked about that yesterday but in the midst of doing that kind of gave you the sort of coach speaky type answer did not really want to get too much into that chapter of this group legacy that could be furthered on Saturday there's this is the exchange that Kirby had with our buddy Chip Towers on that yesterday take a listen to this yeah coach uh, we, we spent so much time talking about the playoff playoff rankings and everything else but that, this was one box you guys were unable to check last year uh winning the championship 
How much of an incentive is that, just, just winning the league title? It's the next game. So um, for us, it's been all about the next one all year. The, 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 the great teams worry about the next one more than the last one, and uh, that's what we're trying to be is team that worry about the next one more than the last one. I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth here for a moment. On the one hand, I think Kirby Smart's description of this is probably really good from a preparation standpoint. The Georgia really is really good about sort of treating every game as if it's the SEC championship and treating every moment. You know, Kirby always talks about attack the day and WIN, what's important now. Georgia's very good about kind of, as Kirby has said in the past, being where its feet are. In other words, not looking ahead, not looking past, not making something more than it is or less than it is, but just treating every moment as a chance to be at your very best. And so when Kirby says, hey, for us, the SEC championship is the next game. We're not playing for playoff seeding. We're not playing, you know, for, for anything else other than we want to be excellent every time we go out there. From a preparation standpoint, that's probably a good, I guess, leadership model to follow. I think that's probably right. However, here's the other thing. This is far more than just the, quote, next game for George. We know this for a fact. And I think when you look at the legacy of these seniors, I think that you were reminded of that once again. And by the way, you don't even take my own words for this. You can go back to the words of Kirby Smart on this, too. And I've played this for you in the past. But a few weeks ago, Kirby was on the Sports Center show with Scott Van Pelt, the one that comes on like midnight or whatever. I really don't know why Kirby was on there, but he was on Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. And, you know, Scott was trying to get him to talk about the idea of winning a repeat national championship. He didn't say go for two in 22, but that's essentially what the question was about. The whole notion of go for two in 22. And you better believe Kirby didn't want to talk about that. But the one thing that he did pivot to talk about was true when smart said it it's even more true now and it's a reminder of hey this is far more than just the quote next game for georgia on saturday let's go back a few weeks and kirby gives you his real unfettered feelings his unfiltered feelings about exactly what winning an sec championship would be all about this is kirby from a couple of weeks ago on espn a lot of these teams that we've seen since the playoffs started are there every year right but we haven't had a repeat the idea that that could be done again something that hasn't been done yet how much of a, of, of a sort of ring does that represent at the end of the line for you? Yeah, that, that is awesome, Scott, and that's, that's awesome. But that's the last thing from our mind. I mean, I got really, it. I think this, team, this team's driving factor is they really want to win an SEC championship. And you can't okay. really do that without winning in Starkville because they want to do something last year's team didn't do, and we didn't win the SEC last year. So it's one step at a time, and you can't win the SEC until you win the SEC East, and that starts – with winning at Starkville. So obviously Smart said that prior to the game against uh, Mississippi State, but you hear it right there in very clear language. This team wants to win the SEC championship. And I sort of get why that is, I think many of you do too, is that forever and a day, this group has been compared to last year's team. Are you special like Jordan Davis was? Are you special like Trayvon Walker was? Are you special like N'Kobe Dean was? Are you special like, you know, you could just keep going on forever about how special that group was. You could do it on both sides of the ball. Jamari Salyer, for instance, on the offensive side of the ball. You could go on and on and on about guys that played in 2021 that were really, really special. And in a roundabout way, if you win the national championship, all you've actually done is equal what last year's team did that there is a part of this that wants to kind of craft your own legacy that wants to have something unique about you that the other group did not have not that they're competing against each other but there's just a human nature thing of you kind of want to be your own person you kind of want to create your own legacy and for georgia the sec championship 
is definitely an opportunity to do that. And for as much as we're a go for two and 22 around here, and for as much as we've kind of laid out the SEC championship as being about the potential for seeding for Georgia, a chance to demonstrate that it truly is the number one team in the country gets the chance to play the national semifinal game in Atlanta. All that's still really true. But honestly, when you hear Kirby Smart say what he says there, when you think about these Georgia seniors who salivate for that moment to kind of have this trophy in their trophy case before it's all said and done, this sort of feels old school to me. This sort of feels like one of those things where on Saturday night, nothing matters beyond this. And the playoff will take care of itself, and the rankings will take care of itself, and the national championship, you can't win that till January anyway. This really is on this particular Saturday about nothing more than winning an SEC championship. And I can tell you, having you know, experienced the sort of the first one of my lifetime in 2002 and seeing it again against LSU, by the way, in 2005 and then in 2017, that's a special feeling in its own right. And it is one that I hope to see Georgia get on Saturday. There may be plenty more trophies put in the case before the year is done, but there's only one trophy that Georgia can win on Saturday. Kirby says it. It's the SEC championship. This group wants it. And for a Georgia class of seniors that's gotten so much over the course of their Georgia career, do you doubt they won't get this too? I certainly don't. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start at 945 on our first and 15, dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We were a couple of minutes late on our first and 15 this morning. I was putting my Christmas tree together. If you're listening to radio podcast, you don't see this, but... uh. I've always wanted a Christmas tree on the desk for Christmas, I guess just because I'm sort of a sentimental uh, sentimental old fool about stuff like this from time to time. But my family kind of put this together for me. We even have like a customized go for two and 22 ornament on here there as well. So it's a lot of fun. You may even see our Royal Caribbean ornament on here too. Uh, we have a lot of fun. We're looking forward to a great Christmas season. And we're looking forward to like simultaneous to that Georgia's march towards its own go for two in 22 moment here before it's all said and done continue with the sec championship there on saturday so we're really excited about all of that and uh, by the way we're super excited about our friends at pella window and door of georgia who make the show possible for you here today you know this is one of those kind of times in which i feel like at our house the last few days we've had air conditioning on at times we've had heat on at times uh it's been hot it's been cold it's been sort of everything in between everybody's sick because of that everybody's eating way more because of that the whole thing <laughs> We'll, we'll use that as an excuse anyway. The whole thing has just been wild. Well, here's what I know. No matter what the weather is like, you want the stuff on the outside to stay on the outside, and you want that expensive stuff on the inside, the AC, the heat, all that to stay on the inside or right where it's supposed to be. That's where properly fitted and exceptional windows and doors come in, like the ones that our friends at Pella Window and Door and George are famous for. You can go back and look at survey after survey of homeowners here in our market, and year after year, they have recognized Pella Window and Door of George for what it is, truly viewed to be the best the market leader when it comes to the best fitting windows the best you know looking doors just the best product you can have when it comes to this kind of thing and if you're not familiar with what other homeowners in your community kind of already know it may be time for you to acquaint yourself with that maybe the best way to do that is just to sort of stop by and see them at their experience center right there in Duluth first of all I love the staff at Pella Window and Door their Pella experts are great at talking to you about why their product is good for you they can also kind of walk you through the installation options and it's no pressure situation they're not you know trying to sell you they just want you to be aware of 
you know, how you can take your living experience to the next level and be more comfortable in your home and have a home that looks better on the outside, which in the roundabout way could also eventually end up benefiting your um, resale value. It certainly makes you a good neighbor to have a great looking home on the outside. And that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is kind of all about. Or if you want to kind of begin this online, you can go to the website, PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. You can also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That is 678-638-1496. Let me also tell you about great savings. A couple more days to take advantage of this. Payments as low as $199 a month or $200 off windows, $400 off doors. All of that right now. Great savings from our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Uh, that is coming up, and it's going to be great. Now, while I also have a minute, before we go around the doghouse here, and I got something that's going to probably make you mad, uh, but we'll do that here coming up in just a moment. Let me tell you something that should make you very happy. It certainly makes me very happy. Go for two and 22 season is here. It's going to be a big week of all of that. And the one big thing I want you to be aware of two days from now, today's a Monday coming up on Wednesday, we're going to be at the Marlowe's Tavern in Brookhaven. I've already heard from so many people who are planning on being there. This is going to be an unbelievable experience. 6 p.m. there that night. The web's, the, the address is 3575 Durden Drive Northeast. That's 3575 Durden Drive Northeast. That's where we're going to be this upcoming Wednesday. It's our Go for Two in 22 kickoff event. Chef-inspired food, craft cocktails, uh, kind of a sort of live broadcast, but also kind of a behind-the-scenes conversation. And don't forget, you know, Jeff Sintel's going to be there. We're kind of getting into that early signing period time. We can have some kind of behind the scenes chatter about what that's going to look like here for the class of 2023. This is going to be a great event for all of us to be back together again, face to face, get some good vibes going for the go for two in 22 season that's on its way after that. So we'll see you this Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Marlowe's in Brookhaven, 3575 Durden Drive Northeast. As we get ready to go for two in 22, we will see you there. Now, while I got your attention, let me also tell you, that if you go to dognation.com right now and click the link in there, there are, I'm, and literally, we're down to like single digits on this. There is a small number of tickets left for the go for two and 22 kickoff tailgate that comes up on Saturday. So you kind of know the details on all of this. It's three hours prior to the game, it's uh, open bar, it's the food you want to eat fun and entertainment and a special second generation go for two and 22 t-shirt the go for two and 22 t-shirt that i'm wearing today you can get in the dog nation store but there's going to be a new design on the go for two and 22 t-shirt which i think actually kind of now has even more meaning than maybe it had when we first designed it but we're going to do a special go for two and 22 t-shirt just for our folks at the tailgate coming up this saturday so go to dognation.com the link in there be a part of this there's a couple of opportunities left we can only guarantee t-shirts for the first 200 people that sign up the tailgate and we are like knocking on the door of that number so get in there and get going on that and obviously we've had great pricing on this and we would not be able to do our great pricing if not for a great collection of sponsors can we uh, just throw them up on the screen let me just shout them out here for a moment uh, i certainly appreciate rs andrews marlowe's tavern kroger discover dunwoody royal caribbean uh, seven six apparel georgia farm bureau and wilson pc personal injury attorneys for making this such a great event at such an affordable price y'all it's going to be an amazing amazing week i can't wait for it and i can't wait to see those of you lucky enough to be there with us there on saturday for that all right so that's what's going on that's the housekeeping part of this now it's john stinchcomb here in a couple of minutes it's around the dog house right now assisted by our friends at AAA. and let me be a little edgier for a moment here because and begin the show good vibes of hey man so thankful for these seniors so thankful to see georgia be 12 and 0 again so you know uh, i guess and 
anticipatory is that the right word uh about what i think this next month six weeks can be like for georgia but we're also going to have to show our teeth here a little bit because once again it just sort of feels like i don't know uh you know georgia has been doubted seemingly at every step of the way here this year and now all of a sudden you got michigan who just beat ohio state and all of a sudden, that's kind of enough for some people to now sort of decide, well, now this Big Ten team is probably better here than George. Let me give you an example from a guy that, you know, generally speaking, I kind of like. It's Reese Davis, obviously the host of ESPN's College Game Day. And this is a good college football guy. You know, Reese is watching these games. Reese is paying pretty close attention here. He's not an idiot. Uh, but I find his most recent take a little bit interesting. Here. Let me show you the Reese Davis tweet on the screen here. So here's what he says. The top four of his AP uh, ballot has Michigan ahead of Georgia. He says, I've got Michigan, Georgia, TCU, USC, all in that order. He says, I'm going to continue to consider, uh, but at this moment, I believe that the Trojans should need to win to make the playoff. Now, I agree with that point. That USC, from a resume standpoint, has proven less than these other teams. Its resume to this point is weaker, for instance, than, like, say, TCU's is. And so, you know, some people have argued, should the playoff field just be frozen and set right now? And all four of these teams, Michigan, Georgia, TCU, USC, should they be in the playoff no matter what? Frankly, I don't think that USC's beaten enough good teams yet this year to be rubber stamped into the playoff, especially if they are two lost teams. So I need to see them win on uh, in the in the Pac-12 title game on Friday night. Uh, I'm fine with that. But it's this notion that Michigan is somehow now better than Georgia and should be ranked ahead of Georgia simply because it beat Ohio State, that all of a sudden that's enough. And as you know, the number one seed will matter to Georgia because if you're number one overall seed, you get a chance to play the Peach Bowl in the national semifinal game. You avoid the West Coast trip to Arizona ahead of what is likely also a West Coast trip to Los Angeles for the national championship game. So clearly Georgia's got some stakes in the game here in terms of being the number one overall seed, having that semifinal game in Atlanta, which would be the prize that would come Georgia's way for all of that. And listen, I'm not here to knock Michigan. I thought they had a great performance, but this is sort of the second year in a row this has happened. This is the one thing that no one's going to bring up. Not Reese Davis, not the people on TV on Tuesday night, not the selection committee, but it's not a theoretical discussion of what would happen if Georgia would play Michigan. It happened like 11 months ago. And you say, well, that's a different season. Well, the truth is, is like the same way that Georgia's lost a lot of players off the team that played Michigan a year ago. What's Michigan lost off that team from a year ago? And you know, it was the same storyline last year that Michigan proved it was tougher than Ohio State. And therefore, those folks, Michigan folks, I was in Miami. I saw this. Those Michigan folks, because they had proven they were tougher than Ohio State, thought they were going to walk into Miami and prove they were tougher than Georgia. And you know how that turned out. And frankly, I have seen nothing over the course of the last 12 games that would lead me to believe that the result for Georgia Michigan this year would be any different than the result for Georgia Michigan a year ago. That being tougher than Ohio State, which Michigan was again on Saturday, doesn't prove anything relative to what you might be able to do against Georgia. In fact, the only real takeaway here is is that Ohio State is now moving to the category of one of the biggest paper tigers in the entire sport, the same way that Notre Dame has been for the entirety of my lifetime. What is Ohio State but that here right now? And this kind of goes back to what we talked about back during the offseason and certainly the weeks leading into the start of the season. We told you the idea that unanimously Georgia was considered to be worse than Ohio State, worse than Alabama, two teams that as it stands right now are nowhere to be found on Selection Sunday. That's the kind of thing that should have aggravated Georgia fans then. It did aggravate us. And you better believe it ought to aggravate you right now that Georgia never got enough credit, not the credit that it deserved for having won the national championship and having followed up that national championship with an undefeated regular season. Again, it's still not getting the credit that it deserves. It has never gotten the benefit of the doubt that seemingly Ohio State's gotten. And you're left to wonder what exactly has Ohio State done to get this benefit of the doubt?
to kind of become the validating win for a team like Michigan. And we kind of specifically cited this stuff, and I can't go on about this forever because I want to get to John Stinchcomb, but we specifically cited this stuff back during the summer. This idea that there was this unanimous assumption that Ohio State was going to naturally and, and, and easily snap its fingers and fix the stuff that was wrong with its program. They were bad defensively a year ago. And that somehow that was going to just magically do that simply because they hired a new defensive coordinator. But you saw this on Saturday. And I'll give Connor Riley, our colleague here at Dog Nation, a lot of credit for this because he called it exactly as it turned out to be. Ohio State tried to fake its way into toughness. They tried to fake it to they make it until they made it. Uh, it doesn't rhyme if you say it that way, but you get the point that I'm trying to make here. They tried to fake it until they make it uh, when it comes to their overall level of toughness. They're going to stop the Michigan rushing attack, something they did not do last year. But instead of just being physically strong, instead of being able to bow their back and be able to do that, they kept creeping more and more bodies to the line of scrimmage in that game on Saturday. Uh, the Michigan players talked about this. Uh, they, you know, they were dared to throw the football because Ohio State kept crowding more and more guys to the line of scrimmage, and that's exactly what Michigan did. Uh, it has beaten Ohio State every way you can beat them. But beating Ohio State doesn't prove anything for Michigan in terms of what it would do against Georgia. We saw that last year. These two teams play again. I think we'll still see that again. So Reese Davis, anybody else that wants to can say that Michigan should be the rightful number one right now. They haven't proven as much as UGA. Last year, they didn't belong on the same field with UGA. And if they play again, I think it's the same result all over again there as well. That is Around the Doghouse. It is assisted today by our friends at AAA. And of course, this time of year, you're traveling for Thanksgiving. You're going to games throughout the week. You're doing all of those things. And of course, when we go places, we're very thankful to have that AAA membership card right there in our pocket. But we're also thankful for the things that AAA can do for you when it comes to your insurance there as well, including getting your home insurance through AAA too. Because when you get your uh, home insurance through AAA, there are so many different ways that you could actually end up saving more money because of that, including claim forgiveness, which is an awesome program that AAA has, which means your first claim is forgiven when you're insured and claim free with insurance through AAA for five years. So it's a great incentive for you getting your insurance through AAA and then saving more money money as you kind of stay loyal to AAA throughout all those years. So you can get more and more details about this, including all the coverage options, the benefits that could be coming your way. AAA.com slash home insurance is a great website for this. AAA.com slash home insurance. You can also give them a call 833-718-2075. 833-718-2075 to find a branch near you and have a great conversation about what that's all about. All right, I'm going to shut up here for a moment because I've talked enough. I want to hear from a true expert right now, our great friend and a uh, great colleague colleague it's john stinchcomb we'll get into john about the i guess the debate that's going to be going on about who should be seated where that reese davis kind of started on the weekend uh john knows firsthand what it means to win an sec championship you better believe i want to talk to him about that and oh yeah clean old-fashioned hate was on saturday too and the in-state rival got kicked around a little bit once again so plenty of discussion points let's get into all of them right now it is dog nation daily presented by palo window and door of georgia glad to have him and all of you with us here today From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So, John, generally speaking, I'm kind of in a good mood here. We're obviously incredibly grateful for the run that Georgia's been on. We're really excited about what Georgia has a chance to do the rest of the way. But I can't help but shake this feeling that we had before the season began, that we had prior to Georgia playing Tennessee, where all it takes is the least little thing, and suddenly these doubters come out of the woodworks as it relates to Georgia, and the least, you know, uh, you know, rinky-dink accomplishment for anybody else is all some people need to see to now assume that, well, that's, that proves it. That so-and-so is now better than Georgia. And 
I, I, I don't know what this is necessarily about, but it's hard to deny that it's been present now for, for most of the last several months, as I mentioned, even kind of prior to the season beginning. So before we get into, I guess, the more present tense stuff for Georgia, the game against LSU coming up this Saturday, the game that took place with Georgia Tech this past Saturday, how about the idea of do you think after Georgia kind of ran its way through 12-0, and admittedly not all of those wins, things of beauty, but still 12-0, and uh, Michigan getting the kind of signature win to close off its season by beating Ohio State on Saturday. Do you believe that Georgia should still be the number one team in the country going into championship Saturday this upcoming week? There's no question. They're the best team in college football. And for those that are contrarians, Reese included, what they're doing is they're trying to provide a hot take. And there, there are other capable teams. Michigan obviously is one of those teams in the discussion. But I agree that uh, they are not – a different team than the one that got dismantled 11 months ago. And uh, it's only a matter of time until that gets proved again. But um, that's, that's what national media does. They are trying to make it a more than one horse race. And it's really not. I think Georgia is the team to beat. They're the top of the hill. And that's why everybody's taking shots and trying to look at, well, they didn't, perform super well against Kentucky or Missouri or Kent State. Those aren't good barometers. The good barometers is what they did to a capable Oregon team or a capable Tennessee team, and it was total destruction for, for both parties involved. And when you look at what Georgia's capable of, when you look at the, uh, the ceiling for all the teams across the country, there isn't a team that is more well-rounded that is as capable as Georgia, and that's that's not even a debate. I think what you're trying to make an excuse for is Michigan's performance against Ohio State and how they were physical and uh, were able to you know, kind of impose their will in that second half. Those are all true statements. It does not make them a complete team. It does not put them at the same level and same capabilities of what Georgia can do. So. On a national scale, there's plenty of folks out there that are trying to make arguments for other teams, but that's just to, to keep things interesting. And because football is a, a freaky game where anything can happen on any given Saturday, and that remains true. But if we're judging on pure performance up to this point, Georgia is the head and shoulders clear top team in the country. So let me ask, uh, with all of what you just said, and I agree with all of it, let me tell you what that kind of leads me to say, and I'm curious if you'd agree with the statement, that over the course of the last 12 games, we've kind of gone from a scenario where, hey, you know, Georgia could win the national championship again. All of a sudden, it sort of feels like now that Georgia should win the national championship again. That's a big difference to me, John. And this is more extreme than I mean for it to sound, but it's almost kind of gone from, hey, it'd be great if they did, to now it's like a choke if you don't. And I'm not quite saying it that, that intensely, but, but in life, you know, it doesn't always kind of line up for you as much as it seems like it's lining up for Georgia right now. This LSU team that they're playing on Saturday, Georgia's a huge favorite there. The truth is, is Georgia's going to be you know, pretty close to a double-digit favorite in every game that it plays the rest of the season, all likelihood – and that kind of comes with its own level of pressure here of anybody could beat you, but nobody really should beat you, that, that this is actually kind of setting up for one of those moments of, you know, gosh, you're really supposed to win right now. Do you get the sense that that kind of has become the evolution of the talking point here? And I guess what does that mean for you if that is indeed the case? I, I think it is the case, and I think it's an earned perspective. I think Georgia has earned the right to 
be the heavy favorite, and no matter what game they're going to be uh, put into for the remainder of the season, and that includes an SEC championship game against a, an LSU team that has shown flashes of capabilities, but also super vulnerable at times, including this past Saturday. So it's a testament to the work that's been done on the field this season. I think you come into uh, this 22 season and you go, Georgia's having to replace a lot of pieces. Where are they going to fall and kind of sort things out defensively? And week in and week out, they've proven that despite putting a record number of players into the NFL and transfer portal and, and replacing bodies, that they've been consistently one of the best, if not the best, defense in the country. And you complement that with an offense that, um, for the better part of this season, has shown the best expression of complementary football. When, when I mean complementary football, you look at the last two weeks, very run-heavy, right? Georgia Tech, Kentucky. Stetson's only thrown the ball less than 20 times in both of those contests and yet still put up 37-plus points in in, in the Georgia Tech game and shown that they can um, enforce their will in the run game solely and then other games where it was more uh, pass-predominant and equally as efficient and effective. So I think it's it's that type of performance that has earned Georgia the right to be the cup-bearer. And, you know, let's be honest with one another, it's kind of a foreign field. I think yeah. the expectation is always – the underdog that's capable from the Georgia perspective, but now it's you're at the top of the heap and everyone's nipping at your heels. I'll talk to you about LSU here for a moment, and I don't know how much time you spent in casinos in your life, but if you ever go sit down at like a roulette wheel, there's a big board next to the wheel that shows you what the previous spins have landed on. And my theory on this has always been that if this was helpful information, the casino wouldn't give it to you because they're in business to, to do business here. They want to make money. So the fact they're giving this information probably means it's not all that helpful because otherwise they'd be more than happy to conceal it. I feel the same way about college football sometimes. LSU is coming into this game off a loss. And frankly, it's a pretty bad loss because they lost what I think is probably the SEC's worst team right now in Texas A&M. And yet, much like a roulette wheel, I'm not quite so sure this previous spins here have much relevance for Saturday's game. The truth is, John, I expect Georgia to win on Saturday. And I certainly hope they win convincingly just to kind of shut some of these people up we were just talking about. But I actually still sort of feel like LSU is a pretty formidable foe. I'll even go so far as to say this. I think LSU may be the best team that Georgia plays the rest of the season. I mean that legitimately here. Um, it's a weird place to be in because you and I are both kind of raised to believe the SEC championship is like this hallowed ground, and typically it's like this clash of the titans. Uh, LSU doesn't really bring that feel into the game on Saturday, and yet I still sort of respect them as an opponent. What do you make of LSU right now? What do you make of them limping in after a loss? What do you make of the whole story for Georgia LSU on Saturday? Well, I think it's a surprising year that LSU's had. They start off with the, the biggest of hiccups, losing to an FSU team, which has proven to be a lot more capable than probably what they were given credit for at the beginning of the season. But LSU is one of those teams that they have talent, they have athleticism, they're dangerous, uh, but I don't think they're a complete team. I think that's been proven uh, time a few times throughout this season and this past week specifically against Texas A&M. Texas A&M, their offensive line could could barely keep out a, a high school defensive line for most of these games, but yet still found a way against 
a defensive front uh, of LSU that is athletic and, and has shown serious flashes. And I think that's what makes LSU most dangerous is their ceilings, their ability uh, to play high-end football exists. It's just an inability to do that consistently. And you look at some of their performances, and it, it hasn't been consistent. And uh, when you lose against a team like Texas A&M that's still scrambling for identity this late in the season, it certainly shows that LSU is not complete. They have not put that full picture together. Now, Coach Kelly, what he's been able to do is go in there and uh, create some good energy around a, a program that has consistently been able to recruit athletic and talented players. But uh, with the exception of Coach O's spectacular run back in, what was that, 2019, yeah. uh, arguably an, an underachieving uh organization for these past few years and i think lsu is going to be one of those teams in the west that you have to be aware of and nationally they'll watch it's just not this season they're capable they're dangerous but uh not near the complete team that um you would expect to be representing the west and that's mainly because it's not alabama <laughs> yeah. and and usually when alabama's representing the west you know that's one of the best teams in the country, and um, you know that certainly isn't the case this year. Staying on the theme of LSU for a moment, I think you know this to be true. I'm sure I've told you this over the years, is that your 2002 team is one of my favorite teams of all time, and it was so meaningful to me because when you all broke through and won the SEC championship, I hadn't experienced that in my lifetime. And the SEC championship was like always play like right down the road from where I lived. And I'd be in Atlanta the weekend of that game and you'd see the other fan bases kind of coming in here and they're all, you know, taking all the restaurant tables and, you know, packing the malls and doing their Christmas shopping. And they were literally like taking over what I thought of as my hometown. And I wanted to see Georgia in that game so, so bad. And, you know, I had not really you know been old enough to remember like the three straight SEC titles in 80, 81, and 82, and obviously the six SEC championships that Coach Dooley had won over the course of his Georgia career, and I wondered when I might get a chance to see one. Y'all broke through and provided it, and for people, and we have a lot of folks who listen and watch us right now who are too young to really have much of a memory of that, but the drought that y'all broke to win that SEC championship was celebrated really almost in a similar vein to the way in which the national championship drought was broken for Georgia this past year. Not quite the same thing, but but not not completely dissimilar either. So, John, this is a Georgia team on Saturday that's got aspirations to win the national championship for a second straight year. That's an unimaginable feat this team you know could achieve, and certainly being back in the college football playoff, and now that sort of overshadows this event in a way that it didn't exist in your time as a player because there was no college football playoff. But tell me what the locker room was like when y'all brought home an SEC championship for the first time in 20 years, and for these Georgia players on Saturday who get a chance to win their first SEC championship, how special that celebration might be for them. Well, I think it's going to be very special, but for different reasons. In, in 2002, it was we were trying to do something that hadn't been accomplished in two decades in from from our team, from our organization, from the the locker room that we're trying to create and raise the bar. Very different from this year, where uh, I think we're on the verge of Georgia being that team a few years from now that nationally people are sick of that. They're saying, golly, we need someone else to compete for the top. And, you know, Alabama was that for a while. I think Clemson and Ohio State probably could could say that they've been in similar situations. But 
Georgia has a very realistic uh, opportunity to run back-to-back national championships, and it doesn't look like there's much fall-off. I mean, you look at returning talent, and I, you know, you, you don't want to jump the gun, but I guess we can because it doesn't really matter. We're not in that locker room. We're right. not staff, and we're not players now. Right. But you, w- what's returning in Athens is something that you're going – they're not going anywhere. No, They're going nowhere anytime soon. And, man, what a glorious position to be in. In 2002, we're trying to create something. We're trying to lay a foundation for other teams to come behind us and you know, continue to raise the bar because now the standard is set. And you look at Coach Rick's career, and I, I think that's kind of what it was accomplished. From you know, I'm not trying to throw shade at Coach Golf or Coach Donnan, sure. but that was, that was uh, those early years in Coach Rick's career, we were laying a foundation where – 10 wins a season became the standard and coach smart has taken that mantle and and raised it to a higher bar of, you know, we expect to be competing in the college football playoffs annually. And with the talent level that we have uh, to be in, in true contention for a national championship year in and year out. And this season is a very special one because of the rare opportunities that exist for this team. They've already accomplished something that, very few teams have with back-to-back undefeated SEC runs. That in and of itself is quite a commendable achievement, and yet that's no longer really enough. I think if if they were to lose um, any of these next three games, then you'd feel a little bit of, man, that we didn't achieve what we were capable of. And that's a testament to Coach Smart and this team and the identity and culture that's been created in that locker room. I want to finish with this. Georgia obviously beats Georgia Tech on Saturday. I'm telling you, John, having been there, it was really weird at the beginning of this game. I mean, it was deader than any atmosphere I've ever been a part of. I'm not comparing it to the Tennessee game. I'm comparing it to the Kent State game. I'm comparing it to, I mean, like it just sort of felt like the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And you had, you know, a lot of families there. And I got, I mean, I took my kids too. So I'm not, you know, saying there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it did not feel like this like intense, crazy SEC atmosphere. It was a little bit more like Disney World than, you know, than, than extreme SEC football because you had a lot of kids who may be being at their only game of the year. And so it was just a little bit of a different type of vibe georgia wins it i guess in a roundabout way i'm just sort of glad this stretch of schedule is over with let me just say it this way what 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 stands out to you about the win against georgia tech what's your takeaway from that game if anything from this weekend well i let's commend georgia tech they came into the game they competed hard i think coach key's done a really good job of inspiring that team who Everyone knows, including the guys in their locker room, they don't have the same horses Georgia does. They don't have the same ceiling and capabilities that this Georgia team did. So in that atmosphere where, again, I've never felt a more electric atmosphere than the Georgia-Tennessee game, and you contrast that with a noon kick against, uh, I guess only on paper for these <laughs> this generation of kids, sees this as like your in-state rivalry, rivalry week. No, they're not They're not even on our level. And, you know, that first quarter was slow and sluggish, kind of like the atmosphere that was provided in in that stadium, that it was slow and sluggish. We're still feeling the tryptophan from the turkey that yeah. we're still choking back two or three days after. And uh, that was reflected on the field. Is it any indicator of, of – 
what could happen these next three weeks? I don't think so. Or next three games? Not not in the least. I think the atmosphere is different. The focus is different. The mentality for the guys in both locker rooms will be much different, especially for Georgia's. You're going, you know, our job on Saturday was to prove that this team doesn't belong. And ultimately, that's what it was accomplished. Um, and it's going to be a much different mentality heading into the SEC championship and the college football playoff series. It's more of the, these are capable teams that are very dangerous that we need to respect. And uh, the preparation, the focus, the the attention to detail, the uh, dial it up to ten mentality. It's all different when you head into you know these these remaining games for Georgia. So a good win in the end. You know you you, you start off sluggish, not unexpectedly, and ultimately prove that there is a a sizable gap between these two programs. John, great stuff. Hope you got a happy Thanksgiving. We certainly appreciate your thoughts here on Georgia football. And obviously, we got some big games here coming up. So hopefully, you and I are discussing good news in the weeks to come here. But either way, we certainly appreciate your time. And thanks for being a part of it here today. Always thankful to be a dog. Appreciate you, BA. Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. There's kind of one more thing about the Tech game that's sort of on my mind, and it's one of those things I kind of wanted to talk about today in greater detail, but I don't quite have time to. I think we're going to probably do this at some point in time this week. Like The one thing that sort of bubbles for me as a little bit of a concern right now is is that Georgia is not scoring at the same rate right now that it did earlier in the year. And there may be an easy explanation for all of them could very well be you know for instance um you know kentucky game it's really windy and it was really windy if you were there that that win no doubt had an impact on that game and so that maybe changed the way in which georgia called the game um tech game the jackets clearly could not stop georgia on the ground it's like been 20 straight years of georgia tech having no answer for georgia's rushing attack uh and so maybe on saturday you felt like you didn't need to do anything but that you probably didn't um, you know, in the Tennessee game, we know that Kirby in the locker room told Stetson Bennett, hey, we took the ball out of your hands there because Georgia had the lead. It was raining and they didn't want to kind of, you know, mess anything up. So we have tangible proof that that, that Georgia has has chosen to kind of take the air out of the ball in at least one of the big games that it's that it's played here in recent weeks. But even if there's like an easy explanation for why all of the games I just mentioned had less scoring than Georgia kind of was producing earlier this year. I think you're still left to wonder, well, okay, now the rest of the way, you're going to find your way into the 30s in each and every one of these games. And being the sort of 40-plus point-per-game offense in the regular season is the kind of thing that would have given you more, I guess, confidence that Georgia would be able to do that in these upcoming games. And the truth is that's not really what Georgia is right now. Georgia is actually scoring on a per-game basis less now than it was at this point in time a year ago. So, Maybe that means nothing, and, and and maybe you know facing, you know indoor pristine conditions in in high level games. We saw Georgia score forty something points last time it was Mercedes Benz Stadium. So maybe they just bring that right back in on Saturday. It's not my intention to tell you that they won't, but I am watching that pretty pretty closely. This team has taken a dip in terms of its offensive performance in recent weeks, and there may be an ex- extenuating circumstance to explain it all but it is going to be interesting to see if they can flip that switch and get right back to that now that the level of competition is about to take a big step forward and points are going to probably be necessary to give yourself the best chance of winning those games but we'll talk more about that at the time 
for now, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I was down in the field prior to the game on Saturday, and I bumped into my good friend Joanne, who works for Royal Caribbean and does a, a great job for them, and a good, just a good, you know, uh, supporter of ours here at Dog Nation. We're talking about the fact that she and I both are going to be on the same sailing of my Christmas trees in the way. <laughs> My cruise run the SEC graphic is on video blocked by my Christmas tree, but uh, you know what that looks like by now. You've seen that uh, forever, but you do have a Royal Caribbean uh, ornament on the tree, so maybe that maybe that works just as well. The point here is is that talking to Joanne on the field on Saturday, she and I both are going to be on the very same sailing of Wonder of the Seas here coming up really soon. That's the largest cruise ship in the world. I'm so excited about that. For me, it's going to be a little bit of kind of a post-SEC championship, pre-college football playoff, kind of get away, recharge the batteries, take advantage of a great experience. I'm really, really excited about that. And I hope you have things like that to look forward to in your life. And if you don't, this is a great time to go ahead and plan that for 2023, a great Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Obviously, anytime is a great time to be on board with Royal Caribbean, but especially this upcoming April for our Dog Nation cruise, when we're going to be aboard Independence of the Seas. Independence of the Seas is a great ship. It's got a Chops Grill, it's specialty, uh, you know, signature steakhouse type restaurant. It's got a Playmaker Sports Bar and Grill. That's a really fun, like classic sports bar on board the ship there at sea. There's so many great things. And there are going to be special Dog Nation events there as well. So we're leaving out April 24th. We're going to Nassau in the Bahamas, Perfect Day, Coco Cay, that amazing private island. We want you to be a part of this there as well. We've had folks booking this all throughout the season. It's amazing how big this is getting, uh, way, way bigger than our first Dog Nation cruise a year ago. I'm actually really excited about how much this event has grown and how much fun it's going to be when we do this together in April. So if you go to RoyalDogs.com, you can find out more about this. That's a special website that a great travel agent named Jessica Slater has made for us, uh, RoyalDogs.com. It's all the details about Independence of the Seas, the ports that we're visiting, and the special Dog Nation events on board the second ever Dog Nation cruise coming up this April. Now, you can also call Jessica directly, uh, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And while you're talking to Jessica, she'll give you details about the Dog Nation cruise, but you can also ask her, hey, Jessica, tell me about Icon of the Seas. That's the newest Royal Caribbean cruise ship that's set to come online January of 2024 and you can find out about the latest example of how Royal Caribbean is kind of redefining what it means to take a uh, cruise vacation that's going to be incredible it comes up January of 2024 for that but our cruise April of this upcoming year and so Jessica Slater's got you all the information you need on that all right let's bounce through here cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean couple of things here for a moment so georgia did get a recruiting win over the course of the thanksgiving weekend since we last spoke here live anthony evans who a lot of folks at one point in time thought was coming to georgia made the decision to go to oklahoma he has now reconsidered that evans is in the mix here for georgia in this 2023 class so a lot of folks looking at the wide receiver position in particular as a as a kind of spot of need for the dogs and you're kind of wondering well who can georgia win with a couple of the names that Georgia's battling with were flip candidates, Evans being one of those. Georgia does get that, so we will give you some good recruiting news that over the course of the Thanksgiving weekend, Georgia flipped Anthony Evans from Oklahoma, a win that the dogs were probably thought to be getting for most of the recruiting cycle. Now they do get, after a brief I guess, victory there for Oklahoma. Also, speaking of the weekend, it was rivalry weekend around the SEC and around college football there as well. I kind of want to see if I can sort of recap some of this sort of succinctly in, in terms of uh, what we saw. So obviously the Egg Bowl was kind of marred by the Lane Kiffin drama, and Kiffin is the guy that cultivated all of this, I believe. But the result is interesting. 
Because as much as Ole Miss's performance may have been hampered by the fact that Lane Kiffin was so openly flirting with Auburn, that's what he was doing and kind of waging war with the reporter at the same time. But the truth is, you know, Kiffin's motives here and his motivation are fairly easy to spot. And I think that, I mean, there are a lot of people who don't think it's a coincidence that once uh, Auburn fired Brian Harson, Ole Miss never won again the rest of the season. There are a lot of people who don't, who don't think that's a coincidence. And so, you know, Kiffin can go back and forth with John Sokoloff, the reporter out of Columbus, Mississippi, all he wants to. But, you know, the fact is, I don't know that Kiffin exactly covered himself in glory over the course of these last few weeks as he was openly flirting with the Ole Miss job, or I should say with the Auburn job. Uh, and that clearly seemed to mar the egg ball on Thursday night. But Mike Leach needed a rivalry win, had not beaten Ole Miss since he'd been at Mississippi State, had a long losing streak against Washington when he was the coach at Washington State. These sort of end-of-season rivalry games were not the kinds of things that Leach had a history of winning, especially when the opponent, Washington back in the old days, Ole Miss right now, typically had a little bit of a recruiting edge over his team. That's just not what Leach had done in the past, so getting that win was probably a pretty big deal. Florida played far closer with Florida State than most folks would have thought. Um, this was one of those Friday night deals where kind of came down to the wire. Florida State gets the win, but you're left to be reminded. And, and by the way, Florida State had been playing great football for weeks and weeks and weeks. But for a Florida team that you know just got embarrassed by Vanderbilt and obviously been kicked around a lot this year, if Florida State's having to go down to the wire to to win that game, ranked in like the top 16 in the country and clearly among the class of the ACC. I think it's a little bit of an indication of just how weak and watered down the ACC really is that Florida State's having to fight for everything it has just to earn a close win against a Florida team that, you know, for the most part had proven itself not to be very good in year one of uh, Billy Napier. Iron Bowl played out almost exactly like I thought it would. Auburn took a few more chances. You know, Cadillac Williams pretty clearly uh, knew he wasn't going to get that job. I think he would like to have gone out with a win, and that created the opportunity for Alabama to get the kind of easy, comfortable win that I thought they'd get. There was way more scoring in that game than the experts thought, but we were also kind of on the side of the over there, too. It was pretty much exactly the version of the Iron Bowl that I sort of thought we would see. We saw that. You have to give a ton of credit to South Carolina, and I just can't put this into words how strong the conclusion of Shane Beamer's second season in Columbia is. This is a coach that I really like. This is the kind of coach that I think is good for the SEC. This is the kind of guy who I think has the chance to really build something in South Carolina. And yet, you didn't see much evidence of that on the field this year. And we sort of thought coming into the year that this might be a situation for South Carolina where, hey, even if you are improved across the board, across your roster, it may have a hard time being reflected in your win-loss record just simply because it's just tough to do that. And yet to think that they're going to finish their regular season by hanging 63 points on Tennessee, who at the time thought of itself as a playoff contender, and then getting an in-state rivalry win against Clemson for the first time in a long time for that program, I mean, that is just such an amazing accomplishment for Shane Beamer. And when you think about these SEC East programs that sort of think of themselves on the rise, you know, Florida folks want to believe that there's a bright future ahead for Billy Napier. Obviously, Tennessee folks think that's true for them when it comes to Josh Heupel and also what they feel like they're kind of doing in the NIL space there as well. Yeah, you got to take, take Shane Beamer serious in that conversation. And frankly, I don't know why, after the result we saw head-to-head, why a Tennessee fan or a Tennessee you know, booster would feel like their program is way better positioned in the future than South Carolina is right now. We saw the result with our own eyes. This was an incredible accomplishment for Beamer and how he's concluded his regular season. I think you do have to give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, he probably uh, played above his uh, you know, expectations in year one. 
And I think he's taken that to another level there in year two. You got to you got to shake his hand and say uh, he's done quite a good job there at South Carolina. Uh, by the way, also uh, I'll mention one more story here very quickly, and that's the Auburn coaching surge. And I have to admit something here for a moment. I think that Auburn is getting unduly kind of criticized for how this is playing out right now. And I, I, I told you before that it's fairly obvious that Lane Kiffin was openly flirting with this job i've talked to people who know people who know people who know people and i think the worst kept secret within like the college football community is is that this was thought to be a done deal for lane and auburn that that's it was just going to happen that i think that privately that's what people are sort of saying here the thing that i've speculated about and you probably heard me say this on the show before is is that I think the, one of the reasons why Lane Kiffin kept being so public, for instance, we thought he was feeding information to Chris Lowe from ESPN. Certainly he was active on social media. One of the reasons why in which Kiffin was so adamant about being so public about this is, is the read we got on the situation was, is that Auburn just simply wasn't moving as fast on this as Kiffin uh, wanted to, that Auburn did not want to tarnish its own iron bowl, that Kiffin can completely throw dirt on the egg bowl if he wants to, but Auburn just had more respect for its own rivalry with Alabama, even in a game they didn't think they had a chance to win. They didn't want to embarrass themselves going into that game. They wanted to wait on hiring their coach. And I think there's some conventional wisdom among smart people that that may have cost them the chance to hire Kiffin, that if Auburn was going to be this patient in terms of hiring him, then then Kiffin was going to take the money from Ole Miss, choose to stay there, and sort of pretend like he was never considering doing anything else. And there are some people who are using that as a reason to criticize Auburn. But here's the thing, that if Kiffin wasn't comfortable waiting a few more days, that to me ends up being an indication that he might not actually be a very good fit for your program. And then someone like Hugh Freeze, now Freeze's final couple games <laughs> Liberty have not gone well either, including an embarrassing loss to New Mexico State on Saturday, but his willingness to be patient and wait – might actually make him a better fit here. And listen, there's no Auburn fan that's out there dying to know my opinion on what their coaching hire should be is. But I see no evidence to suggest that Lane Kiffin's a better coach than Hugh Freeze is. In fact, I see the opposite. You know, Hugh Freeze has two career wins against Nick Saban. You know, Hugh, Hugh Freeze, and you can laugh if you want to about some of the ways in which he won those recruiting battles, but they still won them. And, you know, a lot of that kind of stuff is probably more legal now in this NIL age than it was back when Freeze was there at Ole Miss. And the truth is, is that Lane Kevin has a long history of being pretty you know, deferential to a guy like uh, Nick Saban. He has bent the knee on more than one occasion to Saban, you know, happy to sort of treat Saban as sort of a father figure within the coaching ranks. Hugh Freeze, by comparison, doesn't really do that. So if all of this ends up with Auburn hiring Hugh Freeze, I think they actually end up with a better coach. And certainly I think they end up with a process that's – I guess a little bit more fitting of their needs or uh, sort of matches the fit for the program, uh, you know, a bit better. You know, the media has this way of kind of creating these artificial deadlines of, well, if you don't have a, high, a coach in place by so-and-so date at so-and-so time, this is officially an embarrassment. Says who? I mean, the greatest coaching hire that anyone has made in the SEC in the last like 10 years is Georgia hiring Kirby Smart. But prior to that, the best coach that coaching hire that's ever been made in the SEC before that was Nick Saban being hired by Alabama. Y'all, go back and relive that coaching hire, thinking you had Rich Rodriguez and then you didn't, and then all that leads to finally getting Nick Saban. You know, the idea that the best coaching hires, the best coaching hiring processes are very, very efficient and very, very streamlined, that's just not always the case. So, you know, nobody that's listening to this show right now is an Auburn fan, I understand that, but 
I also think that some of the, what the media does sort of create this sort of artificial deadline where Auburn ought to be embarrassed because they didn't get Lane Kiffin. It's not obvious to me that Kiffin would even be the best fit there for Auburn. We'll make that cruise and run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I want to get back to our SEC championship talk here in a moment. Before that, though, I do want to remind you, for those of you who are planning on being here in uh, Atlanta this weekend and you're looking to sort of book a hotel room, maybe downtown Atlanta's kind of hard to do, or maybe that's kind of, you know, just something you don't want to do. Well, I think that you got to consider all of the other options you have available to you, including maybe right here in our own backyard. You know, our Dog Nation World Headquarters studio is kind of located here in this Dunwoody area. And you should know that's a great home base for you for the upcoming SEC championship there as well. Or if you start thinking about maybe the chance that the Georgia plays in the Peach Bowl, too, all of a sudden that becomes kind of a really great place there as well. Because here's what I want to tell you is that a lot of people when they come in for the SEC championship, and I was talking to John Stinchko about this a moment ago, you try to make it like this full weekend, you have great restaurants, and you know, you know, here in Dunwoody, you've got like the really nice sort of high-end restaurants, you want the sort of more casual, quick service stuff, you've got all kinds of great choices when it comes to all of that. There are 200 different restaurants kind of in this Dunwoody area that you can enjoy, so that's really good. You've also got an array of uh, hotel options there as well, 2,100 uh, different hotel rooms, nine different hotels all around here right now you're kind of centrally located between two marta stations so it's either the dunwoody station or the sandy spring station that takes you right to mercedes-benz stadium this is a great place going to make your home base if you're coming in this weekend or if you're thinking about the peach bowl after that the website to kind of find out more about how you can make it a great dining shopping entertainment weekend to kind of go along with the obviously great football there downtown on saturday discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation that's discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation you can find out more about that about if you're looking for a great place to sort of make your home base before the sec championship right here in dunwoody may be a great option for you discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation for more that is discover dunwoody.com slash dog nation all right so here's what i'm going to do uh i told you about kirby smart participating in kind of a teleconference last night getting you ready for the sec championship brian kelly did as well and in the early stage of that discussion kelly kind of got into the wild ride that lsu has been going through including this past saturday to even make it to the sec championship and the stiff challenge of facing georgia here is some of what lsu coach brian kelly said last night ahead of this saturday's sec championship well it's been We've had certainly some bumps in, in the road, uh, but we've had some some great achievements in developing our program here in the first year. And um, you know, our our football team has gotten better uh, as the season has gone along. Um, certainly, we've learned a lot uh, about how to prepare the right way and how to take care of ourselves in, in this SEC. Um, West, it is uh, uh, week to week. You have to bring your best, and we found that out this weekend. But proud of our accomplishment. Um, really excited about playing in the SEC championship game. It's, uh, you know, obviously the standard in terms of, you know, title games and, and being able to face the number one team in the country and the defending national champs in Georgia. Um, and Kirby Smart and his staff and his players. Uh, you know, it's is a is a great challenge, uh, but one that uh, we're excited about, and uh, we want to be able to represent uh, the SEC West and, and certainly uh, play to uh, to our standard. So, when you hear Kelly talk, there it leads me to say sort of say this is that I do have a lot of respect for LSU coming to this game on Saturday, and as I told John Stinchcomb a moment ago, that 
The fact that LSU just lost in pretty embarrassing fashion to Texas A&M doesn't really change that for me all that much. I expect Georgia to win, but I expect LSU to put up up a pretty good fight here, and I'm not quite so sure that LSU isn't the best team that Georgia will play the rest of this postseason. I I think there's a chance that that might be true. And, you know, Georgia's right now listed as more than a two-touchdown favorite here in this game, but while I'm not ready to make an official pick on this, it actually would not be all that surprising to me if this game ends up being a little closer than the experts think it's going to be, even if I'm still pretty confident that Georgia wins it overall. I'll give you three quick reasons why that's the case. You know, you go back to the Georgia-Notre Dame game in 2019. That game is sort of remembered for this amazing atmosphere, and it was the first time that Georgia got to show off its new LED lights, and frankly, I don't think that Georgia's played a night game since then, which is kind of weird, or at least it doesn't seem like they have. But the point is, is like this is this sort of great night at Sanford Stadium. Anybody who's there remembers it. It was kind of the capping off of a home-and-home series against Notre Dame that was truly, I think, of historic significance for the Georgia program. And that's all really fun to reconsider. But one of the things that probably doesn't get remembered enough about that game is, is that Georgia was a huge favorite that day. The Georgia was, you know, uh, you know, Notre Dame had a pretty nice ranking coming into it, but the point spread, Georgia was a big big favorite there in that game and frankly Notre Dame came in with less talent uh, with less you know perception of being able to win the game and yet kept it very close and fought very hard all the way to the end with a chance to win that you have to give a little bit of credit to Brian Kelly for that that he kept that game closer in Athens than most people probably thought that he would and there's a version of that that sort of lingers in my head coming into this game on Saturday especially understanding he's got better talent on this LSU team right now than he had there for Notre Dame in 2019 now you're going to say, well, the Georgia team now is wildly different than it was in 2019. Totally agree with you on that. I'm just making a small point here is that we've seen Kelly keep it closer than the experts thought when he's played Georgia before. That Notre Dame game in 2019 is an example of that. I'll also kind of point out the LSU game in 2018 here when Georgia went to Baton Rouge. Now, both these programs are wildly different now than they were then. That was a day in which Georgia was also supposed to sort of win easily, and they got a I mean, a very, very tough battle from LSU. LSU beat them soundly there that day, which sort of speaks to to me kind of the high caliber of player that typically exists on an LSU roster that was pre-national championship for uh, Joe Burrow and Ed Orgeron, but still a very tough team. And they brought a lot of toughness into that game there that day. And most of us who were in Baton Rouge, we had a dog nation evasion event uh, that weekend. Most of us who were in Baton Rouge that day, we were pretty surprised what we saw from LSU as a precursor to the great season they'd have the following year. But once again, an example that LSU should not be taken lightly. That was a Georgia team that was expected to win pretty comfortably, and they didn't. And I'll also say this, you know, Georgia has not lost very many games over the last however many years you want to go back during the Kirby Smart era. But a small handful of those losses have occurred when Georgia was a pretty big favorite. The LSU game in 2018 that I just mentioned. Obviously, the South Carolina game in 2019 is the best example of that. Georgia's also a pretty big favorite in last year's SEC championship against Alabama there, too. So while you know I care about point spreads and we talk about point spreads, point spreads alone are not enough to provide you know full comfort and cover here in a game like this. So all I'm saying is, is that while I expect Georgia to win, I am not going to spend the rest of the week telling you it's going to be a pushover and that Georgia's going to dominate and win by 40 points. I obviously hope they do, but... I expect LSU to probably play better in this game on Saturday than they did against Texas A&M last Saturday. And when it comes to the challenge of uh, of winning a game like this, I think it's a pretty significant. One. Now, there's there's also you know a little bit of an issue with Jane Daniels and his and his walking boot right now. Or uh, Kelly talked about that some. So there's there's some mitigating factors here for LSU, but 
all things being equal, if they're as healthy as they possibly can be, my expect is they'll bring a pretty good fight here into Atlanta on Saturday. And by the way, speaking of a fight, some of you are in a fight right now to kind of get those holiday gifts bought, those Christmas gifts. Uh, sometimes you have people on your list that are a little tough to buy for. Well, I want you to consider our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. You know we're going to be there on Wednesday, but you can also know this, that they're a great resource for you right now about making people happy that are kind of hard to buy for on your Christmas shopping list right now. Uh, how about a Marlowe's gift card right now? That's a great, great option for you. And once again, they're providing a incentive for this that they've done with us over the course of the last few years, which I always think is really fun, that when you buy a $50 Marlowe's Tavern gift card, as a special thank you to you, they're going to give you a complimentary bottle of Michelle Brute sparkling wine, a way to kind of ring in the new year, or as we like to think of maybe celebrating after one of those uh, SEC championship wins, one of those go for two in 22 type wins. You can kind of enjoy that. But in addition to that, if you get a $100 Marlowe's, Marlowe's gift card, uh, not only do you get the b- bottle of Michelle Brute sparkling wine, but you're also going to get a complimentary bonus $20 gift card there as well. So great incentives for you to get your gift cards here from Marlowe's Tavern. And that makes a very great gift for anybody in your list because it's chef inspired food it's craft cocktails it's a great night out marlo's tavern you can go to marlo's tavern.com for more on that that's marlo's tavern.com to enjoy more on that so as we said we expect georgia win on saturday we expect lsu to fight pretty hard and frankly the sec championship shouldn't be anything but that no matter what the records are for the teams involved in the game it's all part of go for two in 22 for these georgia bulldogs and as you might imagine that's what the theme of our golden shoes are going to be a lot here this week in fact our, our good friend uh, i think this is christy uh on uh christy who sometimes you see her commenting on youtube i think this is her on twitter i think i'm right about this uh but i just i'm doing a search for go for two and 22 and just kind of throwing that out there and so she says thank you to, from the bottom of my heart to all the georgia seniors she says let's go for two and 22 i love that uh she's got the sanford stadium graphic there with the dogs win uh she even had it animated with the fireworks in the background which is kind of a cool thing to see so golden shoot of christy there for that go for two and 22 indeed and by the way, Gator Hater Countdown, uh, Florida, all they can do is watch the SEC Championship on TV on Saturday. And 334 days from right now, they're going to tote another whipping at the hands of these Georgia Bulldogs. That's fun to consider. That as our Gator Hater Countdown. Go for two and 22. We'll see you tomorrow at Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. We typically take your comments here on DogNation.com or on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. But today I want to do something a little bit different. I was looking at uh, Connor's piece at DogNation.com. It was just kind of a little bit of a social media roundup. And I thought there were a couple of interesting things in here as it relates to the playoff debate as it involves Georgia. And I want to read a couple of these. Kevin Clark's the guy that writes uh, for The Ringer. He's, uh, you know, he's really more of an NFL writer. But he tweeted about Georgia on Saturday. He said, it would be objectively funny if USC lost next week. And Georgia's reward for the number one seed in the flawless season was a first-round game against alabama like i get that people sort of think that and i think there's even some georgia fans that kind of think that and obviously if you care about like power ratings and point spreads and things like that you know george would be among the toughest theoretical matchups that george could be a part of but i just don't get so worked up in oh what if alabama's in the playoff i just don't get so worked up in that a the fact that right now they would not be in the playoffs sort of speaks to the fact they have not had an excellent season and the lack of an excellent season might be enough to suggest this isn't truly an excellent or elite team. And so, therefore, maybe it's not all that, you know, worrisome to the average Georgia fan about playing Alabama. But here's the other thing, too. It's like 
the expectation you should have for a college football playoff game is for it to come against a good team. So whether it be a team like Alabama that Georgia's already proven it can beat or a team you know like USC that it hasn't played before, the expectation should be that it should be a good team. Now, I do truly believe that Alabama is better than USC. So from that standpoint, maybe there's an Alabama fan who thinks, well, you should put the four best teams in the playoff. You, you know, you got to still win the games. The games on the field have to matter for something. And Alabama obviously hasn't won enough of those this year. But this thing of, oh, look who's sneaking around the chicken coop or look who's lying in the weeds or whatever the you know, cliche you want to use for Alabama. I just don't I don't really get that. There is a reason they need a lot of help to be in the playoff because they haven't been good enough to do it on their own. And so if that's the kind of team we're talking about, that's not the kind of team that George ought to be afraid of playing. It was kind of interesting to see Saban trying to do some politicking on this on Saturday after they beat Auburn, but uh, that's a little too little too late in terms of making the case for Alabama. I don't believe they can make the playoff, but honestly, I think that if they did make the playoff, they'd be just as likely a loss when playing Georgia as anybody else in this postseason is going to be. Uh, but Elliot says, good writer from, of course, 24-7 Sports, that please tell me how the playoff expansion is going to devalue the regular season when Georgia can literally sit at starters next week and coast into the playoff. No home field advantage or buy to play for. Well, I think that Bud may not have fully considered the situation for George. A, we talked off the top of the show about how there's a little bit of motivation just to win the SEC championship. But even if practically that isn't as you know, profound as what can come after this in the college football playoff, the idea this year for Georgia playing in Atlanta, I do believe that is a significant opportunity. And I think in this particular case, maybe uh, Bud just wasn't quite paying attention um, to that. Cole Kublik also putting it out there that Georgia is the third team since the conference expanded in 1992 to go undefeated in SEC play for two straight seasons. So it's a remarkable run for these dogs. And obviously it's uh, now uh, uh, two straight undefeated regular seasons across the board here something that not even the great herschel walker vince Dooley teams the 1980s did so this is a, sp- a special time there's room for even more special chapters of history to be written in the sec championship what we hope is the college football playoff after that and so we're just very grateful here at dog nation you let us be the narrator for your experience here as we all watch what should be and could be a go for two in 22 type season so thanks for being here for our podcast cool down today big thanks to our friends at rs andrews for making it possible rs andrews the one you turn to for your air conditioning heating plumbing and electric aids they show up on time they do the work that's promised the price is promised rs andrews the one you turn to uh, on that hope you have a great day we will see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by Pella window and door of georgia we'll look forward to talking to you then